Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger. Feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Food is really culture, and one of the best things about being mixed race is having two sets of comfort food, two sets of go-to recipes. If I smell spicy peppers, I think of my grandmother straight away. I can almost see her house in Oshadi, and I can almost see the Fanta bottles that she used to give me and my siblings. So I love that thing that food is much more than just what you eat. It's about culture, it's about character, and very much about love. I can't imagine seeing my friends without food being involved. I can't imagine any event in Nigeria that isn't dominated by food and by the sort of generosity of food and the making sure there's more than enough for everyone. And I honestly believe that no matter how big the problem, you'll find solace, if not a solution, around a table with food and friends. I'm author and journalist Laura Price, and you're listening to Life in Food, inspiring stories in bite-sized pieces. Each week, I interview a different guest about how food has helped them through some of their biggest challenges. With a different theme each week, we'll be looking at everything from food and love to food and family, food and fertility, and even food and grief. This week's episode is Food and Friendship with Nikki May, author of the brilliant new novel Wahala, a story of three British Nigerian girlfriends who live in London. Simi, Ronke and Boo are navigating the usual challenges of being women in their 30s, from their careers to motherhood and marriages, until a fourth friend arrives on the scene and shakes things up a little. The book was the subject of a nine-way bidding war and has been described as sex in the city with a killer edge. Nikki was born in Bristol and raised in Lagos until the age of 20 when she dropped out of medical school and moved to London. She began a career in advertising before going on to run a successful agency and then eventually went on to write Wahala, which is now being adapted into a major TV serial by the BBC. Nikki and I met through Twitter, where we're both part of a group of debut novelists published in 2022. I found Nikki's book utterly unputdownable and read it in a matter of days, which is really saying something because I'm quite a slow reader. But what stood out to me most were all the references to food that she weaves throughout the novel. The three friends are always meeting for lunch or cooking at home, and Nikki has even included a series of Nigerian recipes at the end of the book. 
It was clear from the start that this was an author who shared my complete obsession with food and I couldn't wait to have her on the podcast to talk about food and friendship. Nikki, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to Life in Food. Thank you for having me. Can't think of anything better than talking about food. So before we start onto the food side of things, could you start by telling me in your own words what the book is about and also what Wahala means? So Wahala means trouble. It's a pidgin English word and in Nigeria you hear it all the time, usually with a groan or a sigh. It means trouble, but pidgin English is really lovely and fluid, so it works in lots of different ways. Wahala deo means lots of trouble and no wahala means no trouble, which is obviously what we aim for. And my book, Wahala, is a subversive modern take on friendship, family and culture, but it's underpinned by this rather epic revenge twist. And like you said, it's is on these three 30-something friends who are trying to live their best life. And then Isabel comes into the group and her reasons for causing Wahala trouble propel the narrative all the way to that rather epic twist at the end. Amazing. And it really was an epic twist at the end as well. I can't wait for everyone to read it. So I'd love to give listeners a taste of the sort of delicious writing in the book. So I was wondering if you could read us a short passage from the novel, please. I can. So this passage is from where the girls are at a very posh restaurant in London where they're eating. It's a fusion Nigerian restaurant. It's sort of from the middle of the book. The food looked incredible. Acres of white plate and an inch of delicious gorgeousness. A delicate slice of plantain adorned with a dehydrated raspberry. A two-inch disc of malted barley bread, like Sorine, which Ronquet adored, topped with a mushroom killishy, a sliver of guinea fowl bless with epasisse satay. It wasn't Nigerian, but it did have distinct echoes of home. The scotch bonnet powder was a masterstroke. Ronke was determined to try and copy it. The club chapman sorbet tasted like the chapman at a papa club. She'd drunk gallons of it as a child. The crab jollof had the burned smoky flavour of party jollof. Ronke wished it came in a massive bowl, not a thimble. The drinks kept coming and Simeon and Isabel got louder. Ronke could hear other diners tutting. Keep it down, people are staring, she whispered. This is why we go to Booker, so we can be loud. Fuck em, said Isabel. This isn't regular Michelin, this is Niger Michelin. At these prices, we can make as much noise as we like. Ten courses took a long time. The wine pairing meant ten different drinks on top of the champagne and cocktails they started with. It wasn't long before they were all a bit merry. Oh, fantastic. That just that whole passage and actually the whole book just made me want to eat all of the food that you're describing. It's amazing. Thank you. So the novel was actually inspired by a long lunch you had with your friends. Can you tell us a bit about that lunch and, and what it was that inspired the novel? So I meet, well, in good times, I meet my friends every couple of months. I live in Dorset. Lots of my friends are in London or in Birmingham. So we meet in this Nigerian restaurant in London where we meet about 12 o'clock and we're often there till seven in the evening having this long drawn out meal. The service isn't great. The food arrives at different times. The white wine isn't brilliant and it's often served warm, but we just love it. For us, it feels like going home. And when we're there, our syntax changes. We become more Nigerian and we talk 
talk about things that are so mixed that we can talk about trying to get generator parts for my dad in the same breath as a ski holiday. So it's very, very different and unusual. And after this particular lunch, as I boarded the train home, I actually physically felt myself code switch out of Nigerian me into English me. And I started thinking about my two cultures and how sometimes they're really separate and sometimes they collide and how I can be both things at the same time or both things at different times. And I started doodling these characters, sketching out the first scene. And remarkably, the first scene in the book is so similar to that first scene I sketched out on the train about three years ago now. Wow, amazing. Well, I did want to talk to you about food and identity, actually. So you've you've talked um, in other interviews about how books by black or mixed race writers often focus on pain and struggle, but you've turned that around in this book. Can you tell me how you've used food to shift the narrative away from the struggle? And was that a conscious decision? think it I don't know if it was conscious but I think anything I write will have a lot of food in because I just think food is such an important part of life I also think that food is really culture and one of the best things about being mixed race is having two sets of comfort food two sets of go-to recipes so I definitely knew that my characters would do that I also think food can be a bit of a character trait so the way different people think about food almost makes them distinct and I think my three characters like Ronke for example to her food is love food is a way of caring and food is a link to her past to her family in Nigeria which she was sort of wrenched away from and there's certain recipes I know when I cook them that it's almost ritual it's almost it takes you back the and when I can if I smell spicy peppers I think of my grandmother straight away I can almost see her house in Oshadi and I can almost see the Fanta bottles that she used to give me and my siblings so I love that thing that food is much more than just what you eat it's about culture it's about character and very much about love I also think Nigerian food is hugely underrepresented there's Nigerian restaurants are only basically only Nigerians go to them and apart from jollof rice I can't think of many Nigerian foods that have made mainstream but Nigerian food is delicious so I think it really deserves to have to be on our radar a bit more and I hope I can do a little bit of that. Well I was going to ask about that actually because obviously a lot of people in Britain don't know much about Nigerian food but also people around the world have this preconceived idea about British food so In your own words, how would you describe Nigerian food to someone who doesn't know it and also British food to someone who doesn't understand it or doesn't know it? I think the thing with Nigerian food is Nigeria is a mix of, I don't know, probably 400 tribes. And so if you take something as simple as a vegetable soup, we have probably 400 versions of that vegetable soup, depending on where you come from. So I'm, when I'm going to Nigeria in June and I want to learn how to make edikaiko, which is a particular one that uses fluted pumpkin leaves and water leaf, which you can't get here. And it's not that different to the a gussie soup in my hometown, but it's different enough for it to have a completely different flavour profile. I think people think of Nigerian food as heavy, which it can be because we eat a lot of yam and a lot of rice and we don't really embrace the concept of vegetarianism. So our vegetable soups also have meat and fish in them, (laughs) which is quite amusing. But there's so many wonderful, delicate flavours. Suya, for example, is this wonderful barbecued meat. And I think every country almost has this aversion 
version of barbecued meat. But ours is flavoured with peanuts and ginger and garlic and it's spicy but delicious and warming. So I think Nigerian food is really varied. And people tend to only think of it as jollof rice and rice and stew. But there's so many tiny little differences and ingredients are quite different. We use a lot of scotch bonnet, so a lot of hot food. We use a lot of ginger and a lot of garlic. And we have totally different sorts of vegetables. So even spinach here is so different from spinach at home. And one of the wonderful things about going to Nigeria is going through a market and picking out all the wonderful ingredients that you don't see here. English food, I don't know. I don't think that, is, is there a thing about, is there English food? I always think of things like curry, like chicken tikka masala is English food, which obviously isn't really English. I do love a roast dinner. Um, I can't, I think a Sunday, a proper Sunday should have a roast dinner in it. But to me, English food is sort of food that we've borrowed from other places mm. and adapted. So to, I wouldn't think of English food as what is typically English. I'll think of things that we've sort of taken and made our own. Yeah, very, very true, I think. I think I, I, there used to be that statistic that it wasn't curry the most eaten food Popular. in the UK or something, yeah. Um, although, of course, very different from curry in India or any other country. Um, and you said you're going back to Nigeria in June. Will this be the first trip since pre-pandemic? And if it, so, what are you going to eat when you get there? I can't wait. It's the first time of two and a half years, I think it is now. And I can't wait to see my dad. And we have this ritual whenever I go home. My dad is a doctor. Well, was he's retired now and is very anti-street food. But when I'm there, we go to this shack called Mama Ofada. And she makes this rice and this stew called Ayamase stew, which is made with loads and loads of green scotch bonnets and you buy it they wrap the rice in a leaf and you take a little Tupperware pot for the stew and we go back home we sit under his veranda and we eat it in the breeze hopefully and he's always telling me to be careful because the, the local rice they sell often has stones in it and he's like Nikki this food might be cheap but dentistry isn't so that would be the first thing we have to do eat some ofada rice there's some wonderful restaurants in Niger, in Lagos it's becoming so much more com- cosmopolitan so you have lots of fusion restaurants yellow chili is probably my favorite it does the best seafood okra so we'll definitely be going there and I'll definitely have my share of street food behind my dad's back when I'm in Lagos so (laughs) definitely some suya definitely some pounded yam and my stepmother is a brilliant cook so every time I go we master one dish and this year it's going to be edikaiko tell me what edikaiko is it's a vegetable stew but because we don't do vegetarian it's got periwinkles and beef and fish in it but it uses specific Um, leaves which come from Cross River State which is where my stepmother is from so you have this fluted pumpkin leaf and you have a leaf called ugwu and some water leaf so it's a combination of different leaves in this very spicy stew. Oh it sounds amazing so um, all of the characters well you've talked a little bit about this already but all of the characters are very different from each other but they all enjoy food in some way whether it's cooking it or eating it in fancy restaurants. Can you talk me through each of their personalities and their different ways of connecting with food? And then also what parts of you are in each of these characters? Okay, so let's start with Simi. She's on the surface, the really high flying, successful one with no problems. She's the golden one, although she does have issues like imposter syndrome, which cripples her. And to Simi, food in in many ways is about control and about status. So she has this control thing that she always wants to watch her figure. So she's anti-carbs, unless it's in wine, which doesn't count. And she also has this status thing. So she always wants to be eating in swanky restaurants. She wants to be eating 
eating the best ever sashimi. She wants to be trying the new things. She'll be the one who decides something is good based on how expensive it is or how exclusive it is. So that... um amazing coffee, which I can't pronounce, Kopi Loak, which comes from civet cats. That's the sort of thing she'd think, yes, it's £50 a cup, (laughs) must have that, it must be good. So to her, food is about status and symbolism. Then you have Boo. Boo is harassed and Boo is time poor. And Boo also has no connection to her Nigerian roots. She's never met her Nigerian father. He abandoned her mother before she was born. And she was brought up in a very white village in a white family. So to her, Nigerian food is a little bit scary. And jollof rice is adventurous. And and she'd be freaked out if it had any spice in it. She also has this rather precocious daughter who changes her mind about what vegetable is edible on a daily basis. So to her, food is a bit of an, a chore, something you have to do. Her husband is quite a good cook and quite enjoys cooking. So she gets a bit irritated when her daughter eats everything he dishes up, but then has a tantrum when she serves something similar the next day. So I think for Boo, food is just a chore, something you just have to get through rather than something you want to indulge in. Ronke, on the other hand, her food is love and food is everything. She's passionate about food. So in terms of being most like me food-wise, it's definitely Ronke because the first thing my husband and I discuss pretty much every morning is what shall we eat today? (laughs) And we often sit there pouring through cookbooks together. And I think Ronke is actually tied to both her cultures through food. So she, she relives her Nigerian life by making Nigerian food in England, but she's just as passionate about Indian food or Chinese food or or English food. She just, to her, food is a wonderful part of life and it's all about sharing and it's a way of caring, which actually is a very Nigerian trait. I can't imagine any event in Nigeria that isn't dominated by food and by the sort of generosity of food and the making sure there's more than enough for everyone. And that's definitely Ronke's attitude and mine. So to talk about you a little, so you were born in Bristol and raised in Lagos what are your earliest food memories and what do you think it was that sparked that love of food in you? So growing up in Lagos with my English mother who struggled to find the right ingredients so she'd talk about mushrooms and eventually found some in a tin and they were absolutely disgusting and slimy while she talked about this wonderful omelette she was going to make and we were like no thanks and then my dad who was very anti-eating street food and very into cleanliness and so my grandmother was really our first insight into food so when we went to stay with her it was just luxury we'd eat her really spicy stews and she'd let us buy a gege bread which is this soft sweet bread that people that hawkers sell from huge trays on their heads so that was just lot and also she spoiled us rotten so we'd each be able to get our favorite thing mine was bread and stew my sister loved yam my brother loved fried chicken and nothing was too much trouble to her food food that love and food thing food was her way of spoiling us so I think that's probably my earliest memory of food and my love of pepper because I do love spicy foods and like Ronke in the book I am known to go around with my little tub of homemade pepper sauce which I make (laughs) in huge batches and then growing up I went to university in Lagos where I get out loads we went to there was the best person for pounded yam or there was a fried chicken shop so eating out loads as university students do but when I came to England and started working in advertising 
I had an expense account, which was the big introduction into fine dining and nice restaurants. And I must admit, I loved it. I do miss having my expense account and clients to entertain now. So I have been very lucky. I've been to some wonderful restaurants all over the world because I did a lot of travel for business too. So I spent a year in New York where I ate out in wonderful places. I've been to Hong Kong. I've been, I've been very lucky in terms of being able to eat at amazing restaurants, although some of my most standout meals are actually the cheapest from the most humble places. So it's not necessarily money that equates to good food. It's sometimes about just the simplicity of ingredients. And now that I live in Dorset, where there's no restaurants for miles around, I've become, we we cook a lot. There's no Indian restaurants, so we've learned how to make really good Indian food because I'm used to having it, having lived in London, used to having a takeaway down the road. Now that I don't have that, we have to make our own. So we do, I do have a bit of cookbook habit, possibly about 100 cookbooks, maybe <laughs> oh, <wow>. more, <laughs> which I can't possibly get. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You must at least have access to the most amazing fresh seafood there, though. 
You do. We have some really good, and 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 me as well. We have a really good butcher. We've got really good um, fish fish shops, and we also have a really good farmers market. So yes, I think they call it basket of England, and it is true. So this episode is obviously about food and friendship. In your own life, how does food bind your friendships together? We've talked quite a lot about family, but not quite so much about friendship. I can't imagine seeing my friends without food being involved. And I remember when I was much younger and living in London, we were we used to be had dinner parties. Before we had dining tables, we used to have dinner parties where we'd sit across the floor and they became quite competitive, where someone would make the starter, someone would make the main. And I remember having a fondue set because fondue was the thing. And we all sat there with our little forks, dipping little bits of bread into this molten cheese. So food and friendship, they go hand in hand. we, when I meet my friends, one of the first things we talk about is where should we go? We sit there pouring over the menu. We, I love the idea of sharing where you order lots of little plates and you eat around it, especially when we go to a Nigerian restaurant because we all want to eat everything. So we sort of make sure we, everybody orders something different. And certainly in pre-COVID days, lots of plate moving around the table. Food and friendship I can't, I, as I said, I honestly cannot imagine meeting friends and there not being food and drink involved. And I honestly believe that no matter how big the problem, you'll find solace, if not a solution, around a table with food and friends. What are your favourite London restaurants um, for meeting up with friends, if you're, if you're able to share? So if it's Nigeria, we go to Enish or 805, and there are a few branches of that around London. But one of my absolute favourite res- restaurants is Cambio de Tertio on Old Brompton Road. And if you go to in Wimbledon, you might bump into Rafa Nadel, which is another good reason ah. to go there. But it does this, it's kind of tapas, but deconstructed and very fancy. Their patatas bravas is just amazing I mean it just knock your socks off really and they do um, parmesan lollipops and just very interesting ways that they've sort of adapted rustic dishes and made them fancy but still terribly delicious um I also I haven't been to Hutong which is in the book and I really want to go I've never been up the shard and it's definitely on my list but I have been to Hutong in Hong Kong which is what I sort of base the experience of and that is possibly one of my most memorable meals ever firstly it's an amazing setting you're sitting in the sky looking out which is quite can be quite frightening but also the presentation there was this bowl which just was floating with chilies but actually it wasn't as hot as it looked but it looked amazing and I remember my husband being really scared to taste it so I had to go first Um, and near me where I live Casamia in Bristol is a wonderful restaurant Um, it's it's only does tasting menus and I'd say the sort of restaurant you have to leave two hours to go through it but it's beautifully done and for some reason there when they describe each dish it doesn't grate because you can tell that they're so passionate about the food that you just want to enjoy every second. Well, I think we could spend hours and hours just discussing our favourite tasting menus and also really simple dishes around the world. Weirdly, I have also never been up the Shard and not, not been to Hutang in L- London, but I have been to Hutong in Hong Kong. And I remember very specifically a beef dish, kind of strips of beef that were sweet and spicy at the same time. And it was it was just incredible. And that must have been 
10 years ago or so so maybe we were in the same restaurant at the same time maybe we were so during the pandemic obviously the last two years have been a bit trickier to meet up with friends because a lot of restaurants closed down in lockdown did you find other ways to connect with your friends through food we did obviously do the zoom chats and we'd sit there with our glasses of wine but it's definitely not the same and eating over zoom just doesn't work it really (laughs) doesn't so we didn't do that but what we did do is talk about all the places we're going to go to as soon as we can and finally now we started ticking them off I'm staying with some friends in um in the Cotswolds and we're already planning right we can meet because it's near enough for my London friends to come down and we're already planning right we can go here for this and we can go there for that so I think it's the only good thing is that we've now got lots of dates to catch up on all the meals we missed and possibly my cooking has got a bit better because we've had no choice. Yeah amazing that's it's weird almost looking forward to things is almost the same as the same joy as nostalgia that's something that I did when I had cancer treatment so it was similar to lockdown in a way because I couldn't do anything I was just there and I was watching what other people were doing on Instagram or whatever but I spent quite a lot of time planning and thinking about where I was going to go where I was going to eat when I went there and just looking forward to it is as, almost as good as actually doing it isn't it? You're completely right it almost doubles the joy because you have all the joy of planning and then you have the joy of doing in fact sometimes I have to stop myself looking at menus before I go to a restaurant <laughs> because I'm picking what I'm going to eat for a meal that's not going to happen for three months which is possibly a bit over the top (laughs) we're the same um so one thing that I think is really cool is that you can connect with friends no matter where you are in your life so when you're at uni which you talked about is you can get together over a takeaway on the floor or over a special meal that you're sitting on the floor because you don't have a dining table yet and then if you're fortunate enough to do well later in life and, and earn some money you can go to nice restaurants together but Wahala is obviously about the trouble that starts when one person comes into the group and rocks the boat. And there are very much disparities in the characters' earnings and their lifestyles. So as well as being a connector, do you think food can also sometimes pull people apart, whether it's because one friend has lots of money and another doesn't and they can't go to the same restaurants, or whether the meal is just the centrepiece for an argument that needed to happen anyway? I think it can be a bit of both. I've certainly at times felt that often with wine lists where a friend is going at one end of the wine list and everybody else at the table wants to go at the other end, the much cheaper end of the wine list. But you don't want to say anything because you don't want to cause a fight and you don't want to look cheap. And if you do say something, take being taken the wrong way. So I've definitely had that. And that happens as you, you know, as you grow Friends do grow apart in terms of career stage or lifestyle stage or you've given up work to have kids or whatever and suddenly budgets are different. So I think it can be quite divisive. But what we tend to do is try, and I think sometimes you have to have the conversation about it and say, look, sorry, I don't want to buy a £60 bottle of wine. I'm really sorry. I don't want to pay for it, rather than have that divvying up the bill at the end and deciding who had the salad and who Mm. had the steak, which is always terribly miserable. But I think, I, I still think that food can, is much more of a thing that joins people together than pushes people apart. But yes, I've, we have, been in restaurants where there's been the sort of rolled eyes as one person hogs the wine menu. (laughs) And have you been for a special meal to celebrate the publication of Wahala? 
We haven't yet because my husband's isolating, so we haven't. But what we did do is buy a Conroe, well, what he did was buy a Conroe grill to celebrate the book launch. But turns out it's not as easy as it looks when you're watching James Martin on Saturday, because as well as the grill, you need these special coals from Japan, apparently. So then we had to order this special I'm going to say it wrong, kiboshan coals, which took a month to arrive. Then it turns out that lighting the coals isn't quite as simple as just lighting a barbecue. So we still haven't actually lit this Conroe, but we've had, we have had to buy special coals, a special kettle to warm the coals in, a special lighter to light the coals. So eventually having spent all my book earnings trying to make this Conroe work, we're apparently going to barbecue little slithers of things from the new Japanese yakitori cookbook that we bought to go with the conroe oh wow see this is what i have to say i love about restaurants because sometimes when you try to recreate something that you've eaten in a restaurant it ends up being so much harder and you see how much goes into what chefs do to create these amazing meals for us in restaurants you're totally right. My husband has this habit of picking the most complicated recipes. And when you read them through, you realize that this recipe has about 16 different recipes inside the recipe. And then he gets a bit bored by recipe eight. So there's this huge mess all over the kitchen. And I'm there <laughs> thinking, okay, where are we? What do we need to do? But yes, yeah, still fun. Yeah, good. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you're up for the challenge anyway. So the book is being adapted for the BBC. And I know still, um, I know that things are still under wraps about it, but, but will food feature heavily in the series? It definitely will. The script is being done by Teresa Coco, who's wonderful. She's BAFTA nominated for Rocks. And when we catch up on the phone, we mainly talk about food and how she's writing different dishes into the book because she wants her favourite food in there as well. And I've definitely got a rider that I turn up to the Owen Bear scene, which is this big party scene in the book where we have, and it's full of food. It's full of lots of different Nigerian food, British food, Japanese food. So definitely I've got to be an extra and a food taster on that bit of the set. And are you heavily involved in the production of this series then? I'm not. I'm executive producer, which actually doesn't mean anything except a nice credit on the screen. But they're being hugely collaborative, so they're keeping me involved every step of the way. And it's quite nice, actually, to just let them get on with it, because I know they'll do a great job. Liz Kilgariff, who's producing, did Bodyguard and Luther. So I know I'm in really safe hands. But it's quite nice being involved, but not having to make any decisions and not having to do any work. And what was it like when you, because you obviously wrote a book, you wanted to be a novelist, you wrote this book and you pitched it, you found an agent and then you found an editor, but then you got to this stage when you got this massive TV deal. What did that feel like? It's just surreal and I'm still pinching myself about it. For some reason, the TV thing seems so much more exciting than the book, which is crazy because the book was all the work, but it's just, it's totally dream country. I mean, in the back of my head, I was trying to write a brown Big Little Lies. So it's actually, it's pinch me, it's actually happened. It's just incredible exciting amazing and you're also working on a second book um are you able to tell me anything about that book and does food feature it does so the second book is called brown girl in the ring and it's about a mixed-race girl like me growing up in lagos and when she's 10 tragedy strikes and she has to move to england to be with her english family at a house called the ring hence brown girl in the ring so Mm -hmm. bits of my book this time are actually going to be set in lagos and bits of it are going to be set in england and i think there's that juxtaposition of being a fish out of water in both places but having that two homes two links so yes 
my heroine Victoria has two sets of comfort food in every in every single dimension. So she from up till 10, she was in Lagos being brought up as a Lagos girl. She comes to England at 10 and she's suddenly immersed in a world of fish finger sandwiches when she's never seen a fish finger. So yes, food will definitely have a big part to play, but in a different way than it was in Wahala. Oh, I can't wait. It sounds amazing. When is it out? Got to finish it first, Laura. So um, I think books take so long, don't you think? It's like this wait, wait, wait game that I think Brown Girl in the Ring will be out in about 18 months. Okay, amazing. I can't, I can't wait for it. So I'm going to move on to the questions that I ask everyone on this podcast. Your relationship to food, fuel or pleasure? Pleasure. Favourite meal of the day? Definitely supper. End of the day, meal you can really indulge and enjoy in. Name one meal that always makes you feel happy. I think it's going to be dal. I love dal. I think it's this comforting, warming thing. So it's neither my Nigerian side or my British side, but I just love a good dal. Do you like the dishoom dal? I love the dishoom dal. It's oh, it's the best, isn't it? Now that is one that in a cookbook, if you look at the recipe, I bought the Dishoom cookbook and thought I need to make that dial at home. And actually I've just completely given up and I'm oh, going really? to the restaurant. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my dial is really simple. Maybe that's why I like it so much. 20 minutes done. Okay. Amazing. I'll, maybe I'll have to get that recipe from you. Um, name one food that has healed you. <sighs> Pounded yam in a gussy stew. There's nothing that can be wrong with you. Well, certainly nothing emotionally wrong with you that pounded yam in a gussy stew doesn't solve. I think the making of it helps as well. Making a gussy stew is a quite slow process. And I think the cooking of it is actually part of the cure. One dish that reminds you of family. Banana ice cream. In Nigeria, my mum was determined to cook, make ice cream and she made the only thing, she it had lots of crystals in it because the power supply was erratic so it never froze properly. And to me, perfect ice cream has little crystals because that's how we had it as we were, when we were children. Oh, that sounds amazing. Um, one recipe that everyone should know how to cook. Oh, pasta puttanesca. It's just such a good, throw a few things in a pan, five minutes, cheap, lovely. Your best meal ever. <gasps> I think we were in Malaysia and we were waiting for a boat to go to an island called Pankor Laut and we were two hours early for the boat and we had fried fish and plain rice and bottles of Fanta at this. It was just a shack. They didn't speak any English. We didn't speak any Malaysian. We just pointed at someone else's food. It was perfect. We had this meal about 15 years ago and I still can taste it. Mm. Finally, some food for thought. What is the one piece of advice you would give to anyone in terms of food and friendship? I would say if a friend of yours is having a bad time, pick them up, take them to your favourite restaurant, buy them a meal, tell them you love them and listen to them. And I think think solace, food and friendship will always be together. It's such a good piece of advice because actually whenever someone's going through something, whether it's um, grieving or whether they've just become a mother and they're struggling or whatever they're going through or a breakup, actually, if you deliver food to them, that is just one of the best things you can do, isn't it? Food and love, they're joined. They really are. Oh, Nikki, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your thoughts on food and friendship. It's been an absolute pleasure and I can't wait for everyone to read Wahala. Thank you for having me and let's meet in a restaurant one of these days. Yes, thank you so much. 
If you enjoyed this chat with Nikki May, you can buy her unputdownable book Wahala in bookstores everywhere. And I've included links in the show notes to the wonderful restaurants she mentioned. You can also buy my debut novel, Single Bald Female, which is out now. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do hit the subscribe button and share it with your friends. We've got some amazing guests coming up and your support will allow other people to find it. If you want to know more about my book and hear about upcoming episodes of the podcast, please do follow me on Instagram at Laura Price Writes and on Twitter at Laura Price Wright. Those links are in the show notes too. Thank you for listening to Life in Food with Laura Price. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.